1: Welcome to the Hockey cast. My name is Dmitri Filipovich, and sitting across from me um, in the CBC building in the this is what would you call this? Like the it's like the war room or something. It's the one uh, Elliot Friedman's Twitter profile picture is all you hockey Net in Canada guys sitting here watching the games on a Saturday.
0: Yeah, it's I think they call it the commentators' room, and uh, this is where we we are between periods or sorry during periods rather uh, watching the games. We got what ten big screens up here and. Uh, This is where all the chaos happens on a
1: Saturday. There we go. Um, No games on right now. We're recording this on a Tuesday afternoon. But, you know, I guess the natural starting point for us here is the game that's going to happen on Thursday night and the announcement by the Sedins yesterday that, you know, this is going to be it for them. They've got a couple games here left, and then they're going to... I don't know if they're necessarily going to ride off into the sunset. Like, have they said, are they going to play for Sweden in any international tournaments, or is this it for them?
0: Good question. I actually don't know the answer to that one. Um, you know, this year the world championships are at Denmark, which is the country beside Sweden, so maybe it's kinda home ish, but it doesn't feel like that's uh where this is headed for them. It does feel as though this is it. And you know, it's kinda interesting to hear them or the way I guess the manner in which they've they've gone about this. I, I, I can't really think of anything quite like it. Maybe since what, Wayne Gretzky's retirement where he announced that uh basically in the last week of the season, and they they were able to give them a bit of a send-off. But, you know, usually it doesn't go down this way in in hockey. And, you know, I think especially with the seasons they're having, if you had asked me three months ago, I would have said I would have expected them back next season. So, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out with a couple home games and then finishing at Edmonton on the last Saturday of the season, kind of a
1: unique way to go out. I mean, obviously, this is a story that uh, that hits close to home. I've I've been following them up close and personal throughout their entirety of their careers, basically, and um, it's got a special place in my heart just because, you know, when they were sort of ascending into their prime years and when they took over the car keys to the franchise from the West Coast Express and they really started to become operational on point producers in the NHL, that was sort of the point where I'd, I'd watch hockey games, but I wasn't necessarily fully invested in it Um, I was much more of a basketball guy and I was just sports in general, but I wasn't a huge hockey person and it was just impossible not to be just enthralled by their style and the way they got it done. And, you know, they weren't, they were never the most physically impressive athletes. They never blew you away with their speed or their strength or anything like that, but it was just the passing and the positioning and knowing where to be at all times, where the other guy was going to be and how they made their teammates better regardless of who they played with. So I feel like they're kind of partly responsible for me first, like falling in love with hockey and then actually getting into this industry and sitting There's here no talking, hockey sitting here talking to you. Maybe. So, I mean, um, I don't know where that ranks on their list of accomplishments for their career, but for myself personally, it's pretty high. Um, it's interesting seeing, you know, after this news comes out, after they write that article, um, Obviously, it was met with a lot of admiration and reverence and people, you know, sharing their fondest memories of them throughout their careers and what they personally meant to them. And it's kind of, we always go through this, especially when it's like people die. It's like, it's like you always hear everyone just
0: their career funeral.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. And so it's kind of weird to talk about because they're still 37 year olds and they have promising futures ahead in whatever endeavor they want to do. And I'm sure they're going to live long, prosperous lives after this, but it does kind of feel like it's like a bittersweet moment where. I felt like they went underappreciated for such a long time, and now they're finally getting a lot of the love they deserve, relatedly. But it feels weird that they're not going to be playing next season, even though they're clearly not the players they once were.
0: Well, to me, it's looking back at it. And I hadn't really thought of this much. I just hadn't put much brain power in this direction. It feels as though they were a bit ahead of their time, and and you know they 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 found their their first sort of prominence prior to the era where sort of possession stats are talked about, and, and but their game was all about controlling the puck and especially, you know, cycling around the offensive end and doing things that, you know, wasn't really measured, certainly the way it is today. And all the sort of ogre-ish hockey stereotypes lobbied at them were, or lobbed at them, rather, were about their lack of physicality or and all those things. Whereas now, if you look at the NHL today, I mean, there really isn't much physicality. Maybe we'll see a bit more when the playoffs get going next week. But, you know, it's a sport where hitting is not nearly as celebrated as it once was. Obviously, fighting doesn't exist. And I think we are looking for more skill out of our players. And, yeah. and thankfully, there's this whole new generation of young guys who have all kinds of it to, to burn. And, you know, they they were just a little bit ahead of the, the curve to me, in a sense. It's not that there wasn't skilled players beforehand, but what they do best or what they did best in their primes wasn't appreciated for a lot of the time that they were doing it until the tail end of their careers. Uh, I guess that's the way it goes sometimes, but, you know, I I think history is going to treat them very well. You know, I would, I'm among those who expect them to be pretty automatic uh, entrance to the hall of fame together, the way they entered the league together and did Mm -hmm. everything together, it seems as hockey players and uh, you know, pretty, pretty special guys. I mean, when you think back to those West coast express teams, at that period, if you were a Canucks fan, you probably thought things were going to go downhill. Yep. You know, because Bertuzzi and Nasland and Morrison were so popular, and these guys propelled them even higher. They were the core of a team that should have won the Stanley Cup, if not for some injuries and bounces and things that come into play. And uh, you know, they just had fantastic careers, and I, I, I kind of like that they're going out on their own terms. You for know, sure. To, it's so few guys get to do that and you know working this business I come to know some players on a pretty personal level and to hear their end of their careers like most of the time it's really unpleasant and they they're scared and they don't know what's going to happen and it's not their choice and they're bought out or this or that I mean these guys are going to get celebrated now in their last week in a way that's probably going to blow them away and and you know I can't wait to watch that game especially on Thursday their last home game in
1: Vancouver. I'm glad you brought up the sort of the uh kind of being ahead of their time and obviously with the possession game and everything like that but i also think there was a nice and i'm kind of regurgitating this information from uh this eulogy that my editor had me write on 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 the website but you know when they came into the league i feel like it's fair to say the product was definitely less uh aesthetically pleasing than it is right now um and they helped really sort of chaperone the league from that era to what it is now. And, you know, they they were never necessarily the fastest guys playing in transition the way we see guys like Nathan McKinnon and Conor McDavid play now, but it was that sort of um, more skill-based approach, possession game, and especially in the offensive zone where they kind of redefined what it is What it looks like to be difficult to play against, because for a while, everyone would say, you know, guys that throw body checks and fight a lot, those guys must be a nightmare to play against because they're going to hurt you physically. But then you watch what the Sedins did, and I think Jonathan Taves even talked about this yesterday when he was asked about sort of his thoughts on their career and what it was like to play against them. And he mentioned that it was just a terror to play against them because they'd pin you in the defensive zone for 90 seconds on end and you just be chasing the entire time and eventually it would just kind of suck the life out of you where it's like, I and have nothing left And you're sucking oxygen here. for
0: half of that shit. Exactly, and
1: so, you know, prototypically, maybe they never were the most, um, you know, def- defensively oriented or defensively gifted players, but the good good thing for them is they never really had to be exposed to that because they were so often cycling behind the other team's net so far away from their own. So, I don't know, it just, I, I think it's special I'm glad people are finally... Um, Appreciating that and thinking back on what they've meant to the league. And I also do, just on the topic of being ahead of the t- their time, I wonder if they came into the league today, how differently they'd be thought of or appreciated just because of this sort of social media era we're in now, with, you know, as soon as you do any highlight, real worthy thing, all of a sudden. 50 accounts have a GIF up on it and it's being passed around on Twitter, on Instagram. And now you, when you look back at some of those old clips of theirs, it's this grainy CBC footage. And it's like, you can't even make out who's who. And you're just like, what's <laughs> going on here? It looks pretty cool. That two are threes excited. or two twos? Yeah, exactly. And so I, I, I wonder like maybe, I wonder if they'd be much more popular and appreciated just on a league wide level. If, in their prime right now you're watching on a nightly basis them doing through the legs passing play give and goes and that goal they scored against the flames when uh they basically locked up Henrik Sedin's Art Ross trophy um you know they generated four goals that night I believe it was kind of like a meaningless game because they were already getting into the playoffs and Calgary wasn't but they were just that's what I think of when I think of the Sedin's their prime they were just this force of nature and the flames just that entire night were just so helpless and had no plan of attack on how to stop them or slow them down at all and they're doing that play where Henrik Sedin's pat, like tipping it through his legs, and then and then Daniels finishing it against Kiprasov, and you're just like, these guys are on a different different level right now than everyone else on the ice. Well, I have no doubt they would be more popular now, just with
0: with what's celebrated, and and even you you're, you rightly point out the way things are shared, and and you know because they there were some pretty special things on the ice, and 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 almost in today's game at times, I think. And it's, I'm actually fine with this, but we we overlook some of the bad things that really good players do because yep. the the really high end stuff they do is uh, worth watching again and again. And those uh, gifts that run through your you know your Twitter feed and things like that, and and you know they they would be much bigger stars probably. I mean, it's not to say they weren't. I know in Sweden they they're, they're on another level and were before they even got to North America in Vancouver. It's evident even sitting in Toronto. Uh, 5 hour flight away you know just how beloved they were and and are um you know i and they're just they were almost like the metronomes i think like like part of it is is on the ice and then i think part of it is off the ice um you know what they meant to the community and and you know even that organization i think they really set the way to to be a canuck for a long time and you know that's that's probably what management's most worried about i would think is what happens after that because right. It's not automatic that it continues. I know, you know, one of the reasons the Detroit Red Wings refused to rebuild, you know, even as they were just barely getting in the playoffs, is they just were worried about letting that sort of standard, that, that internal drive, you know, something that you don't have a coach yelling at guys or you know, it's 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 some almost exists within the dressing room where the level is that everybody has to be at. You know, I, I feel like that's what they said. I I do know, you know, I wasn't around them as much being based in the East, mm-hmm. but but I remember in that twenty eleven Stanley Cup final they were just omnipresent and you know covering the, the game 6 in boston i don't know what the final score was i know they got blown out 7-1 yeah, something like that I don't know. it wasn't you know they had a chance to win the stanley cup that night right and and didn't and i just remember those guys were the two guys that came out after the game and spoke till there was no more questions and just just little things like that i know sometimes media members make too much of that sort mm-hmm. of stuff but you know i do think that they were kind of the conscience of things too um you know which is going to be tough to replace and you know it'd be very interesting to see do they do they work for the Canucks do they want to be around the team next year you know obviously I know they don't want to be on the road they've talked about you know spending more time with their families and their kids and birthday parties and all those things but you know I, I don't know if they're just going to drift away and we won't see them again or or at least you know other than the odd jersey retirement and hall of fame night or if they're going to have a more hands-on uh future
1: in the in the sport yeah I know I know people uh to listen to the listener show know that we typically focus on the on ice stuff here and I try not to get too much into the uh, psychological component of things or the off the ice stuff but with them like it when you talk about them and what they meant to the Canucks in the league you, you really do have to appreciate that a little bit and I think as we pivot here and talk about what the Canucks are going to do now and how they're going to fill this void and how they're going to approach this summer um, something that I think Angle overlooked is things have been really bad in Vancouver the past couple of years as I've been talking about on end here this season and they, i notice you, it's You really are paying attention. I, and they did wonders, I think, in terms of deflecting a lot of that and taking the brunt of it um, from the younger players on the team. And then now that they're not going to be around to answer those questions about what went wrong after they just lost 6-1 for the fourth straight time, you know, guys like Bo Horvat and Brock Besser are suddenly going to have to start answering those questions. And I don't want to buy too much into that and, you know, it's part of the job, and I'm sure they'll be fine, but I do think that's... They really kind of went out taking like one last bullet for the team this season because every night you'd see them always owning up to it and being the first guys to sort of answer what went wrong when there was so many things to choose from.
0: Well, and they didn't complain, yeah. at least not in any public way, and I think that, that that was an important aspect for the organization because their minutes were cut pretty significantly, and their mm-hmm. roles, you know, especially before the injuries hit, they they were not playing very much. And you you wouldn't have known it from, you know, what they were saying. Uh, I think in some ways they've saved the organization, I guess, having to be maybe even tougher on that front by, by, you know, stepping aside now rather than trying to push on from this point, because they're probably not going to get more useful to the team on the ice. Uh, you know, as time goes along uh, and now there will be certainly the expectations of who picks up after them will be what's talked about now. And, and if, Bo Horvat, to to just name one, doesn't have a good season next year. I think he'll feel the sting of that a little bit more. Um, You know, I saw that in Toronto with Nazem Kadri because, you know, there's a lot of expectations. He was the Leafs' first top-ten pick in quite a while, and and everyone thought he was going to be the number-one center, and that was sort of a circular debate for four or five years or longer. And then once you get Austin Matthews and you have a number-one center and he plays behind him, I just think Nazem Kadri's life gets a lot easier. Of course, yeah. Everything falls into a more natural place. And, you know... Vancouver probably hasn't had that person even with the Sidines now because they, they haven't been at that level. But I think there's going to be that'll be felt a little bit more unless they take that cap space and lure John Tavares to the West. I mean, which you know, I you can never say never They they can probably offer as much or
1: more money than anyone else. You it's know, like in my, them in San Jose, basically, right? Or the two, you know, Vegas has yeah, some a sure. little hype around it too, even after Carlson's there. Well, I don't know. You know, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't
0: examined that, but I, I'm sure that the teams will at least revisit that yeah. conversation uh, because that was his most likely landing spot at the deadline. Um, but you know, unless they do truly bring in someone like that, it, it's going to be, it's going to be a tough spot because as we're sitting here now, it's hard to imagine the Canucks really being much better next season.
1: Well, so then that, that's the elephant in the room here, because obviously with 14 million coming off the books with Bo um coming off this summer and the Canucks are with it going up to 80 million dollars league wide, I believe they're going to have like 25 million or something like that um, of free space. And then obviously that raises the questions of whether that's a blessing or a curse, considering um, some of the recent signings this regime has made haven't necessarily panned out with, uh, you know, what they did last summer with Sam Gagne and Michael Dozado and Andrews Nielsen. And then before that, you look at well, Louis
0: Erickson, Louis Erickson
1: um, you know, throwing a ton of money at Brandon Sutter. I know he wasn't a free agent. They traded for him, but just how they've invested their resources when they've had the cap space hasn't necessarily been very encouraging. So when you look at the landscape now and you look at a lot of the names... I think John Tavares is an entirely different animal, and if he, for whatever reason, decided he wanted to come to Vancouver, which I think is quite the pipe dream, although I'm seeing that a lot now with Canucks fans online. Um, other than that, I mean, I don't see any player really on that list of guys available that makes a ton of sense for this team. It would be obviously, you know, if the market dries up and all of a sudden they're taking a one or two-year deal to just make some money, sure, and then they're a trade deadline on asset, but... You know, when you start, you hear like Tyler Bozak is a guy who intrigues the Canucks. Uh, David Perron, James Neal. Like you look at some of these names, and it's like I just shudder to think at both the term and the salary and the lineup spots they're going to be taking from the younger guys who should be playing and developing in those in those gigs. I understand there's an there's a little desperate sort of desperation level for this management group to bring in names that are going to draw people to come to the games and give a have, give them a reason to care about the Canucks again, but. I don't know. I feel like this summer is uh, is kind of like a pothole just in the road, waiting to trip up this 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 organization. And it's going to be fascinating to see whether they can resist the urge and actually keep that cap space to trade for future, you know, take on bad contracts, maybe for get sure. future Assets or if they just blow it right away just because they have money to spend.
0: Well, in signing
1: anybody to a long term deal at this point is it's,
0: it's almost seems foolhardy uh, because ideally you know the Canucks hope they've got some good prospects now or good young players. You know, you want those guys to be the stars. You want those guys to be the guys you have to pay in a couple of years' of time and and so to take a potential, you know, money you're going to have to be paying them 3 years from now, that's a huge risk. I mean, even with I mean, John Tavares, I guess we'll we'll just leave him out of the conversation because I think considering what he may mean to any team is is different than other free agents, but you know, beyond him, the 2018 free agent class has no it has no solutions for anybody in it that I, that I can see. Really, I mean, and I say that with respect to the players. I mean, there, there's guys that can help some teams in the right role, but you know, if you're getting into bidding wars and things like that, I just it, it seems like there's potholes for the whole league. And so, you look at a team like the Canucks that has among the most amount of money to spend uh, under the cap. You know, San Jose is another one that has mm-hmm. quite a bit of money, although they they have the framework of a team uh, much more in place where I think it would make sense for John Tavares to go there, given where Joe Thornton's had in his career. And I think there's a natural spot for him to, to step into and still have a team that's competitive. I mean, they're still competitive as we're talking right now. So um, yeah, it's going to be a dangerous summer in Vancouver. I mean, they can get in the, they could get in the Eric Carlson talks if, if those resurface or when those resurface, you know, they can do some creative things, but the temptation, hopefully I would say is not to go out and spend a whole ton of money on July 1st. Cause it's not the solution for most teams and it's especially not the solution
1: when you're as far off as they are. So you're saying they shouldn't go all in on Vander Kane this summer. And take on Milan Lutch's contract and just get every local guy to come back and Well, I'm, I don't know, Evander Kane can play. Yes. To me it
0: just depends on the contract. It's right. honestly, it's not to say they shouldn't go sign Evander Kane like straight up. I mean, he, look, he's played, you know, pretty well and produced certainly since going to the Sharks at the deadline. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's risk I, I think there's risk in signing any player to a six year deal or seven year deal, eight year deal, whatever. I guess he can't do eight with Evander. But, you know, the point is, is when you do those contracts, you want to do them with players you know well and you know that they fit. And, you know, it makes sense to do that with Connor McDavid. I don't think that anyone's questioning the length of that deal from Edmonton's perspective. Right. Um, but when you're going out in free agency and throwing that around, it's just not the way good business is done in the league now, mm-hmm. you know, you don't see the big teams doing that very much. I think there's value sometimes in the free agent market, but, um, if you're the Canucks, you really, your whole focus should be on getting as many assets as possible, drafting as many players as possible, developing them the best you can and hope you get lucky. I mean, they could win the draft lottery in a couple of weeks time and, you know, that changes the outlook for where they're at. Um. Doesn't solve every problem, but it would solve a big one if Ross of Staline was playing there next year.
1: Yes, and that's you can take that soundbite and just re, you know, replace what the Canucks with Ottawa. Pretty much every every team and all of a sudden Montreal. the outlook becomes a lot rosier. Um all right, so let's take a quick break here to hear from a sponsor and we'll uh we'll dig into the mailbag. I've, I've tweeted out here that we're looking for some questions and we've got some interesting topics, so we'll get to that. Regardless of where you work or what you do for a living, I think everyone can relate to the internal aha moment you have when something happens in the job that makes you feel like you finally made it or validates that you're doing a good job. Um, it can be something little, small, uh, but it's something that gives you a feeling of, of that validation, like you're on the right path and you need to keep going. And I'm fortunate enough to have had a few of those personally this season, um, but the most recent one happened this past weekend Uh And it was when I posted a picture of myself with a friend of the podcast, Uncle Jeff Merrick, and the hockey godfather himself, Bob McKenzie, took to Twitter to once again just mercilessly roast me like the low-key savage that he is for what I was wearing. Um, And I know Bob's just having fun, and I can appreciate that because I feel pretty confident in the fact that despite his chirps, I was looking pretty good. And the reason I can say that is because I was sporting my beautiful customized plaid suit from Indochino. And it's one that I'm honestly in love with. It makes me feel like I'm Nicky Thompson or some other mobster from a completely different era. It's got this silk paisley lining on the inside that I picked out myself. Uh, I've got my initials monogrammed in the jacket pocket. It's got a little bit of everything. Um, And as much as I love the suit itself, it might not honestly even be the best part. that honor might go to the actual experience of going to Indochino and working with their staff to get it picked out and customized. Uh, I'm not usually much of a shopper myself, but I might be if everyone else was able to duplicate their customer service which really goes above, above and beyond. Uh, everything is so relaxed and chill. Um, you know, as I said last time, you're just hanging out on a couch sipping a cappuccino, you've got them walking you through every single step. It's just it's just an awesome experience. And I recommend it highly to everyone that's listening out there. Um, don't wait around. Don't be settling for some crappy off the rack stuff that isn't fooling anyone or impressing anyone. Spoil yourself a little bit. You deserve it. And here's how it works: you either go to a visit a showroom in person, or you just go shop online at Indochino.com. You pick your fabric, you choose your customizations, you submit your measurements, and then you wait for your custom suit to arrive in just a couple of weeks. And if you go to Indochino now and you tell them that I've sent you, they're actually going to hook you up with your own premium suit for just three hundred seventy nine dollars. That's fifty percent off the regular price for a made to measure premium suit. Plus shipping's free. All you have to do to claim this is go to Indochino.com and enter the promo code PDO at checkout. That's Indochino.com, promo code PDO for any premium suit for just three hundred seventy-nine dollars and free shipping. Now let's get back to the show. All right. Um Yeah, we just took a we just took like a five minute break there trying to sort through some of these questions and trying to figure out what to talk about. It's it's I know I've said this countless times on the show by now, but it is that really annoying part of the season where I'm just can round one please just start already so that we have new stuff to talk about?
0: I'm just glad we had a real break. It wasn't yeah. one of those ones where you're like, oh, here's like, an ad. And like an awkward ten second seconds. break.
1: Yeah, yeah I'm going to pick it right back up. Um, I don't know. You and I did uh, did a puck talks with Justin Bourne um, last week, and we got some interesting stuff there. And I know that you know not everyone was in attendance or was able to watch the uh, stream online, so we can get into some of that stuff there. I know a common question we get these days is the Hart Trophy debate and who, like, what the what the terminology is, what it should actually stand for, who should be eligible, who should be the favorite. Um, where are you at right now as someone who will actually have to be making this decision pretty soon? I'm still pulling my hair out a little bit. Mm.
0: Uh, so it's Tuesday. The votes have to be in a week from Wednesday. You know, meaning just before the playoff uh, the starts. So you know, I got eight days to finalize a list and I was struggling with it. if I'm being honest, I mean, it's hard to, it's hard for me to just erase Connor McDavid, but it's also hard for me to ignore some of the history of the voting and, and the, the handful of times that, you know, someone who's been this far out of the playoffs has won and, and you know, how much they want the scoring title by and things like that. Um, you know, there's some compelling arguments out there still, though. I mean, I, I do think the likes of Nathan McKinnon and Claude Giroux and Taylor Hall and, you know, guys that have clearly propelled, been, been you know, such drivers of teams that have maybe done a little better than we expected and have significantly outperformed their teammates have strong cases. You know, Anze Kopitar, I don't know if he has enough either eyeballs or support or I haven't seen a ton of buzz about him, but I think he's got a really strong case uh, to be considered. Um, I, I honestly don't know who I'm going to vote for. And it's not to disguise my intentions or to <laughs> to try to kick the ball down the laneway. I mean, I'm actually glad this is the year
1: all the ballots are public. So, Have you been publicly um, making your votes known in the past? Or? I, have, haven't, I haven't had an impetus to, but I know that you're a pretty open, transparent guy. I have so. in the past. I've certainly never shied away from yep. whatever I voted and I've actually
0: kept my ballots. I mean, it's a weird process, but you know, you email them to this this created email account. It's not mm-hmm. even someone's email, and it's Ernst Young that does the the accounting. And and if you don't CC yourself, I mean, I guess it would be in your send folder. But I do have my ballots in case there's ever a question about who I voted for, because you know, you do forget. I mean, if you ask me who I voted for twenty thirteen, fourteen, Norris, I'd really have to like familiar myself myself with which year that was and what happened. Was that the year that Carlson got robbed or no? Oh, no, that was 15? two years
1: ago, yeah. Fourteen fifteen.
0: Yeah, that that would, I didn't like that one. I had Carlson. <laughs> but uh nothing <laughs> against true I just that was the season yes. that, to me that there was less debate than normal, uh, that that he should have won. But and you know, that's neither here nor there. It's just you know, I, I like that everyone that the picks will be out there and then we can talk about it if anyone wants to or even
1: I could do it as of I guess next Wednesday. CJ, I I hate to break to you. People will want to talk about it.
0: Yeah, well, I don't know, but I don't know in June how much how much are people going to go back? I mean, okay, they're going to look for outlier votes, I'm sure, right? But if is someone really going to go back, and if I pick McKinnon,
1: are they really going to raise that much issue with it? I don't, I don't know. No, and this is where I'm at w- with it. I think you know, I've been public. I think this stuff should have been happening for years now, and I understand there they are going than never there are there, are, there is going to be pushback. You know, there's always going to be people who are upset if you. Uh, you know, they they view it as a perceived slight against their favorite player or their favorite team. Like, that's going to happen. It's inevitable. But I'm all for, if you can back up your opinion, even if I disagree with it, like, that's fine. Like, you're entitled to your opinion. That's the whole point of the vote. Yeah, I think what we want to try to erase, and I know that there's this kind of uh, concern that it's going to become kind of a popularity vote and people are going to get peer pressured into making certain picks based on how the narrative's going online. But I think ultimately you just want to remove those uh, you know, local homer picks where a, like a random guy gets a third place Selkie vote just because he plays for the team whose announcer voted for him there. And it's like, what, I, uh, why did that happen? And, you know, in the grand scheme of things, we take this stuff way too seriously, but I don't know. I, I like that. For, I like it from that perspective. I think as long as you have an opinion that you can justify, that's fair. Just
0: Well, and I like, honestly, now any complaints or issues or debates it's not generally the PHWA, you know, which is like any organization. It that means a lot of things to a lot of people. Yeah. But now you can go through and you can scrutinize individual voting records. People can scrutinize me, and obviously, there's no way to get everyone to agree with you anyway. Um, but I can then explain why I made my decisions and. You know, hopefully when I'm doing that, it will show how much work I put into it and Mm. how much care I took with it. And that I, you know, I've always taken it seriously because I recognize that I have some small part in determining history and making some of these guys' career. If you win one major award, you know, in some cases, that's a huge deal. You know, Nathan McKinnon might never, just to pick one, might never have a season like this again. He might never have a candidacy as strong as he does right now to win the Hart Trophy. And to win the Hart Trophy is a special place in our game. So, you know, I wouldn't cast my ballot one way or another. Without some serious thought, but I just like that now it's me. So if you have an issue, you can bring it to me. But if if you don't like that that random you know vote for John Scott to win the Selkie, uh or you know pick a random guy if someone's right. trying to be funny or whatever the
1: reason people would, I've ever. seen some pretty crazy ones, and yeah. it's like it's obviously it's from a local broadcaster or something like that. Like you can you can tell where these awards are coming from, but
0: right. But this is going to create some headaches for people, mm-hmm. and that's and that's what it should be. That's fine. I mean, I I remember. I think it's in baseball. I've seen it where someone has won the MVP and they've had all but one first place vote. And the one writer that didn't vote him, like it's named in like the AP stories, like the yep. goes on sort of record, you know, Joe Blow from the Kansas City Star, you know, is the only guy who didn't select so-and-so to win the award. I mean, I, I think that's fine. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this manifests itself. I mean, hockey's a small world. There, I'm sure some people feel pressure. It's a lot easier for me, I must say, you know, I cover the Leafs a lot, but I'm not just a Leafs writer. I don't have the same, not one team, I'm not beholden to one team the way, say, a local writer might be, especially if you're in a small market where you're the only, you know, daily presence on the beat. There might be some pressure there if in certain places, and, and I think it it could be tougher for them, you know, whereas, you know, I just can't keep everyone happy. I'm just going to do what I think is best and we'll live with the results.
1: Yeah. Well, that's a good point. You and I have talked about that in the past on the show. Um, you know, the idea of like kind of maintaining your sources. And now obviously if you're a local beat writer and you're covering the team on a daily basis, I mean, obviously maybe you'll appreciate what that given player does more just because you're watching them so closely on a nightly basis, whereas a national writer might not be, but there's also, I'm sure you like build these personal connections and you, that, that must influence your vote. And whether that's right or wrong, I'm, I'm sure that happens, but I think maybe, can we retroactively go back and now that we can release the voting details, can we, release the voting information for who voted not to make it public like can we go back and i want to i want to see i want to see that. i, I want to see, see which voters voted yes and and no that, that'd be i don't
0: i don't have the authority to do that i actually don't know all the no votes i know a few people because we had a meeting and a couple people this is before the official vote but like registered their complaints i think a few people have uh decided not to vote since that it's going to be public in some cases it's because their their papers or outlets don't allow them to but it at least in one or two it's people that just don't want to be subjected to that so you know if you're really eagle-eyed, you might be able to, to figure out
1: well if Connor mcdavid wasn't having such a uh amazing hard-worthy season it'd be fascinating to see where the edmonton chapter for example would vote for taylor hall in this mvp race because i think like stuff like that is fascinating that's why i'm happy these votes are going to be public right. like it's gonna obviously from the outside looking in i think it's going to provide some interesting storylines and uh topics to discuss on twitter and i'm sure people are going to have fun with it myself included so
0: the only thing is i just wonder with i mean it's still going to create buzz don't get me Mm -hmm. wrong but because the votes are placed early april and they're not released until june 22nd 21st whatever it is i just don't know how that's going to be i mean how many people are going through them i guess there'll be a few of
1: you out there i think like at that point in the season when they are released i feel like it's kind of much more quiet so there's less stuff to care about so yeah, i think it'll be a, a story none for sure
0: but. Well, and, it, and you know it should be it's the first time it's happened mm-hmm. and you know i think we ask for transparency and we want people to be honest with us if you know if we're asking about certain things in our job i mean the least we can do is give it back even though you know that'd be, let's face it the, the unspoken aspect of this is that twitter is a bit of a difficult place to be sometimes and that's not just for journalists i mean i think that's that's all kinds of different people for different reasons, but you know, it's, it's that it's not always a civilized discussion, uh, on there or very rarely or however you want to term that. And so that'll be an aspect is let's see, is it going to be like a mob coming after people or what? I mean, I just use the mute function when, when people call me names
1: and, uh, you know, that, that works for me. So do you, what do you, what are you expecting this summer? Let's let, us let us look at Cause I know like last year around this time, um, Whenever you talk to anyone, they'd be like, "Oh, I can't wait till the season's over because with the expansion draft coming up and everything, there's going to be fireworks and we're going to see a lot of movement." And even if the trades or moves don't materialize, it's going to give us at least something to talk about this year. I mean, the free agency class isn't that overwhelming, other than John Tavares. Um, you know, I'm sure the Eric Carlson rumors are going to pick up, pick back up again. But otherwise, like, do you think there's going to be any fireworks? And are, are there any teams in particular that you're kind of keeping a close eye on um, that could really look fundamentally different next year than they do right now? I don't
0: foresee a ton of fireworks. I mean, the Eric Carlson thing is real, and and I'd be surprised if he was an Ottawa Senator to start next season at this point, just because usually once you open that box, it's a bit like Pandora's box, <laughs> and it's hard to just undo that. I mean, everyone knows they had legitimate trade discussions about a generational player at the deadline, so there's no reason to believe that they're going to stop there just because they didn't get a deal done at the end of February. So that's going to be a real interesting trade, and it's probably one that happens in Dallas at the draft. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily. I mean, we saw P.K. Subinga traded a week after the draft after some discussions were held there. I mean, there's a chance it goes beyond it, but I'm thinking because Ottawa's likely to be getting at least one first-round pick in that trade that there's almost more value in getting it right away at that draft, you know. Sort of the way, say, the Derek Stepan deal went down, and then the Rangers were able to get a pretty high draft pick from Arizona. Um, you know, so that's there. The Tavares thing is, I mean, it hasn't gotten a ton of publicity, really. Like it has, but it hasn't. Like I don't feel like it's been a daily storyline. Uh, but that's going to be pretty big if 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 it goes away. It looks like it's going. Like I mean, it looks to me like he's testing the market, and and. We have not had a, a free agent like that in a long, long time, who's as good as he is, still relatively young. And, you know, that, that will be interesting. And then beyond that, I don't see... Yeah. Like, I don't see a huge trade market developing this summer. I don't see a team that I think is going to just go bananas. I think teams are getting a little more conservative with what they do in the summer in general. Yeah. Like, I don't like i i keep hearing you know James van reem's like gets a lot of attention in toronto cuz he's a pending ufa really doesn't look like the least want to sign him and he's he's having a career season in terms of his goals and everyone's saying oh another goal is going to be more money and it's like i'm not sure it is mm. cuz i don't you know i'm not sure that there's 12 teams bidding on him like I, it doesn't it doesn't feel to me like free agent works that free agency often works that way anymore so you know it, it's one thing for john Tavares you know where you might literally get a team offering something close to the max, like they might offer him more than Connor McDavid just because you're getting him yep. in this place. But beyond that, I, th- I think it's going to be kind of a conservative summer. You know, 2019 is a real summer, right? I mean, that's, and, yep. and this is what I'm wondering if John Tavares goes through free agency and actually becomes like one of the very few NHL superstars that switches teams on July 1st. Does that maybe make it easier for other guys to do it in 2019? Because I don't know if you have the list, Anywhere handy. I mean, we already know Doughty, Carlson, Ekman-Larsen. Oliver ekman Larson, yep. I believe even like guys like Logan Couture. You know, not to put them on the exact same level, but there's a lot of intriguing names that that could be available in that free agency class. And I and you know, it sort of feels like that might be sort of like the equivalent of what we're seeing in, in baseball now. It could be one big summer where a bunch of players with similar attributes. Go to the market and, and try to cash in.
1: Yeah, this is a um, this is going to be quite the year for unrestricted. The, the one you're talking about the following 2019, summer. 2019, yeah. Um, you know, just looking at some of the names here in Cap Friendly, uh, you know, you have Matt Duchesne, um, Artemi Panarin, Tyler Sagan, Blake Wheeler. I mean, a lot of like the thing is about some of these guys, by the time this date comes around, will have signed extensions and will stay with their teams. But some of these Great. guys will test the market and will give us stuff to talk about. I mean, you look at like Sergey Bobrovsky is available. Like there's a lot of names here where in a lot of summers, they'd be like the number one guy that everyone would be talking about. And here they might be the sixth or seventh, just because there's so many other guys to pick from.
0: Well, and look at the guys you just mentioned. I mean, Blake Wheeler, the Jets love him. He's their captain. They're having a great season, but they're, they're going to be in some cap issues here. I mean, they they have to pay Patrick line. I mean, you know, probably one of the storylines of this summer will be where the RFAs end end up, you know, the Leafs have their three young guys. you got Line A potentially up for an extension this summer. Uh, I think there's some interesting decisions in there, and and they could have ramifications. You know, even the Blue Jackets, I mean, if they have Panarin and Bobrovsky. Yep. The, I mean, that's going to cause some fallout if they were to sign them both ahead of that. I mean, that, that, that might be where we get some of our, you know, more spirited debates. You know, especially if, just to create the scenario, I mean, we had the McDavid deal pretty early in the summer last year. But if Matthews and liney don't sign on or near July first, when they're first able to, does, do they maybe go in? Is there a game of chicken that's had? I mean, I, I think that, that that will generate some discussion and some interest. Uh, I mean, ultimately, players that good are going to get paid. That's the way I look at it. I mean, if you're Winnipeg, <laughs> to me, there's a risk in in not signing him this summer because if Patrick liney goes and, and wins our trophy next year, wins a Richard, and could still win it this year with a huge finish here at the very end, but you know he's going to be even more valuable after his third season. So, you know that that might be where some of the the biggest action now comes is cuz the young players are such a big
1: part of the teams they're on and and the second deal is is such an
0: important decision.
1: I know this goes against the fabric and the nature of of hockey and the brand it tries Do it. to uphold, Bring it. but are we are we going to get to a point where um you know especially in the, like the summer of 19, um you have so many names that are going to be available like I would love for it to be an NBA style thing, where like three of these guys predetermined that they're going to go sign. Where well, like obviously with, with the hard cap, it's kind of more difficult to make it happen, and a team would have to clear up all this space. But like just this idea of like guys sort of picking a destination and being like, we're going to turn this team into not necessarily a super team. It's be much tougher to do that in hockey, but a team that all of a sudden just becomes this team with three mega mega superstars that just decided to go play there like i i don't know stuff like that i I, i'm very curious to see if that's gonna happen especially with this younger generation of guys that are coming up now it seems like they're much more sort of uh friendly and you know they're playing together on all these junior teams coming up and training together in the summers and i wonder if that's something that we are going to see uh moving forward
0: i see no reason to think that wouldn't happen yeah you know, like even look back to the All-Star game. I mean, there was very clearly a wooing-type scenario going on with Eric Carlson and Victor Hedman. And I know they're, they're buddies. They are at each other's weddings the previous summer. They've known each other for years. But, you know, it was pretty evident in in what was happening in Tampa that, that there was, you know, those Lightning guys were trying to warm Eric's mind, you know, probably for a potential trade because Eric uh, was going to have some control over the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe even for down the road for free agency uh, you know, we've heard even Carlson himself say that he and Doughty are going to talk more about their market and what the teams are offering to, right. because they see themselves as comparables, obviously. Uh, they both are represented by the same agency that that's going to make. They don't even really have to call each other. I'm sure Don Meehan and yeah. Pat Morris and everyone in the office for, of Newport is going to be pretty up on what the market is for those two. But, you know, hockey is such a small world. It should happen. And it's happened in the other sports. I mean, the, the path is there for them. You know, one thing I love about the young guys coming in the league is that I don't think that they're as wired. They're not as wired to be old school hockey in general. I mean, I I just see it in the way they dress and, you know, the way they embrace social media and putting themselves out there publicly. I, I think that slowly some of those traditions of everyone being robots on a team is being eroded. And, you know, those guys are growing up in a world having seen what's happened in the NBA with, you know, even going back to like wade and bosch and lebron going to the heat it's to me it's only a matter of time i mean you just need you just need a summer where there's enough of them as free agents which 2019 yep. at least on the surface presents it and you know why not and if the cap keeps going up and especially this year where we're getting a decent bump and with seattle mm-hmm. coming in there's reason to think that there's going to be more hrr growth and we might see you know some years where the cap really jumps and gives teams more of an opportunity to do this I think it's going to happen, and it's going to be awesome. I mean, it, come on, we need more stories. Yep. I mean, it's it's a sport, and we love the sport, but it's it's, it's an entertaining property too. And if you're a player too, you know, this is part of John Tavares' decision. I mean, you have such a small window to try to win. I mean, he's been loyal forever. I mean, yep. no one questions his loyalty uh, to to the New York Islanders. But you know, there's there is a good question there about what they've done for him. Yeah. You know, they've paid him actually less than market value which is his, you know, he took that contract. But, you know, he could have made more money elsewhere and he could have some cups, you know, if had he been drafted somewhere else.
1: Yes. I, I, as, the, as the host of this podcast, I feel validated valid and vindicated. I, I know I'm pushing the right buttons now because I wish people could see the smile on your face when you were talking about... I could see the wheels turning, just the idea of these guys coming together and that story just of the reporting and sort of the investigative research of like, how did this, how did this come together? Do you guys have meetings in the summer? What's going on? I, well, I, I love that sort of stuff. I
0: want the players to take over the league.
1: Yeah. Honestly, because like
0: a lot of these guys in the ways I've gotten to know them, like I still feel like and I only know them still surface level, but there's just a lot more there. And I think in some ways hockey still serves to shut them down. It's small things. I remember the All-Star game in L.A. and the same thing might happen in Tampa, but I didn't see it. So but uh, they have the media day. And they were made to wear these like outfits and it was one of their sponsor outfits. But they're it's basically the equivalent of like what, you know, the type of underwear, long underwear they wear under their, you know, like workout warm up type of gear. And I'm like, why are these guys, that are, we're in LA <laughs> and so many of them like wear just awesome cool suits. Like why are they not dressing up and and the more flamboyant ones wearing things that get attention that people talk about that gets, you know, like to me at least this year I saw, you know, they had a red carpet in Tampa and, you know, some of the guys clearly made an effort with their suit and that was on social media. Like, like I think that they should be allowed to show more of that personality. And, and, and I, and I do think it's going to happen, but you know, let's, let's let the inmates take over here. I mean, it's their skill that people pay for. They have the talent. They, they should run the league a little bit more than they probably do. And some, even ways like this, I mean, co-op free agency. Why not? I mean, there's no reason to think all the teams are bargaining in good faith with you know when it comes to doing deals yep. you know i expect and i don't necessarily know for sure but if when if you're la and you're ottawa just depicted two examples and you're thinking of extending carlson and Doughty, there might be at least some exploratory talks about where you think the market is for that uh it, i think it'd be foolish to think otherwise and you know players also similarly are represented by the same agents in a lot of cases you know, there's opportunity here and and i think it can be good for the sport uh, if it's done the right way
1: I mean, you asked there why we don't see players do it, and I think the answer, you know, what, what it is, and it's every time anyone says something controversial or does something that goes away, f- away from the norm, all of a sudden they get roasted about it online and people freak out. And
0: That's part of it. I mean, when it comes to free agency, too, I think because of the physical nature of the sport, there's risks involved in playing out your contract when you can sign a seven- or eight-year extension At pretty good money to stay where you stay living where you are and stay in your situation. I mean, I I I don't begrudge players for extending their deals early because that's guaranteed money. The the way it works in the NHL, and that's it's lifetime changing money. I mean, even look at the contract. Uh, just off the top of my head, Victor Arvidsson signed in Nashville. I mean, yep. he signed objectively below his market value. But this is a guy that like passed through the draft, no one believed in. He's my height, which isn't usually a good thing for NHL players. <laughs> and look at this career he's built for himself. And then he gets what was it, twenty eight, twenty nine million dollars? I think on that seven year extension. I mean, I can get why he signed that. I mean, that that there's value in that. But you know, the more players that do go through to free agency and ride it to the end. And if they ever band together, I think that they can exert some power that, that
1: we haven't really seen NHL players do in a long time. Well, I know this happened—I um, don't know if you follow baseball very closely, but the Phillies signed one of their top prospects to this kind of mega long-term deal who hadn't even played for them yet, Right, uh, Scott Kingrey, before the season. And there was this—in in baseball especially, we have— I don't want to get too much into the minutiae, but, uh, you know, guys get kept down for a couple of weeks to start the season. So they, they push back their arbitration clocks and teams buy another year and you have a lot of that sort of management that goes on there. And it's a, a bit easier to sal- salvage and spin to your fans because the season is so long. Um, but it makes sense why teams can get away with this stuff in terms of having the leverage on players. Like if someone comes to you and I forget what Arbiton's exact deal was, but like, let's say, 30 million dollars. Um And especially if you come from you know humble upbringing and you 've never obviously seen that type of money if someone's willing to give you that like it's pretty hard to there's one thing about being confident and betting on yourself, but it's another to. Turn that down. That kind of money, especially in a sport where you know you could take one wrong turn, take a hit to the head, and all of a sudden you're never the same again, and maybe you just cost yourself fifteen, twenty million dollars. Like it's this is this is a legitimate internal debate that players have to go through every time they are about to hit free agency.
0: Well, and good for him. He's backed it up this year. Yeah. and he's got another sixty plus points and close to thirty goals. If he's not quite there yet, you know the the, the best example in hockey I can think of is that that Korea solane mm-hmm. leverage situation where they went to Colorado, and I know it didn't work out, but. You know, maybe that's part of the trouble too in hockey. Is even two great players in their primes don't there's there's still a lot of x factors around a hockey team that that can keep that from being successful. Whereas in the NBA, when three stars goes to one place,
1: there's a pretty good chance you're going to win a title. I'd say right. But okay, if Dowdy and Carlson were like we're going to go sign with the Islanders, let's say right. I don't know how much better that team would be, but I feel pretty confident saying quite a bit better, especially since you could basically cover the full, like if you split them up and you play them on separate pairs, you're basically the full game you're having. They
0: could have you and I as the third deep Yeah, D pair doesn't matter. That, that We're just sitting on the bench, just
1: giving high fives. and
0: <laughs> Yeah, we, we give the best fist bumps yes. after Drew uh, scores. We're good in the room. That's right. Okay. But yeah, you're right. And, and just because we haven't really seen it, especially deep, like I'd be... I'd, I'd, I'd be curious to to see what that looks like. I mean, it's not that different, I guess, if Hedman's sort of recruiting Carlson, uh, you know, that, that presents that same kind of opportunity. I mean, to me, it just seems inevitable that we're going to get there. Um, You know, we have another lockout coming. Uh, There's lots of opportunity for players to, to try to, to scheme, to do what they can. And, and, you know, with so many guys in 2019, maybe that'll be the summer where, you know, we'll be going into that summer with all kinds of fireworks in our minds. And, I guess we wouldn't have an expansion that summer. It'd be the next one for Seattle. So mm-hmm. you know, maybe 2019 will be our fireworks summer after. I mean, Carlson and Tavares moving teams will be pretty big news this yes. summer. I mean, I don't want to <laughs> douse flame. Boring. You know, yeah. <laughs> what have you done for me lately? Yeah. News cycle. But, um, you know, I don't see, honestly, I don't see, like San Jose, look, they're poised to spend money. I think that puts them as a front runner for Tavares. I know there's other GMs in the league that, that feel that that's where Tavares is going to end up. Um, you know, that'll be interesting. I mean, Vegas is going to have some money. So if they go after one or both of those guys, I mean, maybe Vegas will do it this summer. That, that would be something. I mean, it's not necessarily Tavares and Carlson cooking it up together, but yeah, you know, they could trade for one and sign the other. I mean, given what the season they've just had, that, that would be, uh. That would create some shockwaves.
1: Yes. Yeah. No. I've I've actually been watching quite a few of their games lately, um, especially the home ones. I I, I want to get a better feel for what's going on there. You know, this stuff always. Um,
0: is it still the Vegas flu, or is there something more happening? What do you What do you think? I think
1: I think they're legitimately good. Like, I, we'll see how if that translates to the playoffs and whether they're able to keep it going and whether. You know, I, I subscribe to the idea that I know we're still so late into the season. Maybe not anymore, but especially early on, it felt like rather than the Vegas flu, it was more so teams, they were just catching teams off guard, especially with their speed and their style of play and how quickly they're transitioning. And um, it felt like they were getting away with that and sort of masking some of their talent deficiencies throughout the lineup with that. But now, I mean, we're 80 games in and they're still catching teams off guard. I wonder, you know, in a playoff series when you can really sit down and game plan for them fully and on a game-to-game basis, whether some of those talent deficiencies will be exposed a bit more, especially if they run into the right team who can match up with them personnel-wise. But man. Uh, some of these games, it just, I love, uh, there's there's something going on in the background. Um, I love like that game against the Avs they played recently. was just, it was incredible. It was both teams. As soon as they got the puck, it's just yeah. like, they're just trying to go back the other way. And that as much as we talk about how the game has evolved and it's much more modernized and more offensively skill-based, faster pace. I still think there's like another notch for us to go where every team is just going to start playing. Like, they, like those two teams were playing in that game, for example.
0: Well, and there's there's enough evidence now, I think, if you're a team that isn't doing as well as you, you think you are, to just pull up some young guys who can skate mm-hmm. and guys that aren't making a ton of money. I mean, we've seen enough examples of that, I think, around the league where that helps around the margins. Uh, I mean, obviously, you still need some supreme skilled guys to carry your team, but maybe William Carlson's that guy. I, I mean, man, his next contract negotiation this summer is going to be fascinating because... I mean, there's nothing in his past that suggests he's this, and now he's you know forty goal guy. I don't know where you land on that that deal.
1: Is he, is he arbitration eligible? I believe he is. Yes. Yeah, it's gonna be fascinating because we always talk about how teams are. Smart. You don't want to go to arb with him if you're Vegas. Oh, he's gonna get paid for that. I mean, he's it's, it's forty goals, goals. Yeah, you know, yep. one thing that I've heard from teams is that
0: goals, in particular, tend to be historically a stat that gets guys paid a lot more than even what the teams think they're worth.
1: Right. But so, you know, we hear how teams are getting smarter, how they're uh, getting analytics departments and how they're focusing on some of this stuff now. But then, you know, this this past summer, for example, as smart as teams are getting, you see TJ Oshie's contract and it's like everyone that's paying attention at all knows this is a good player. He's a middle six winger. You know, your team's going to be better having him than not having him. But if you're the Capitals, how can you possibly sign him to what he's going to be asking for, considering he just shot 23 percent and is very clearly not going to do that again? And this year comes back to exactly the player he was before. And on the opposite, Jordan Eberle, sort of similar thing, where most consistent goal scorer in the league, 25 goals on lock, has one poor shooting percentage season, gets traded for pennies on the dollar. I understand there's some salary implications there and whatnot, but then all of a sudden, he's right back to exactly the player he was. And we see this time and time again where there's shooting percentage fluctuations that I feel like still play into this, and I'm fascinated to see. I think, you know, William Carlson, it's easy to say, He's not going to shoot twenty five percent again, or whatever he is now, and yeah, he's not going to score forty plus goals next year. But can he be a twenty five goal scorer for you? And if so, in today's day and age, that's still a pretty valuable asset, like especially as a first line center. Yeah, I mean, if he's if
0: he's a if he's still their first line center. You know, or maybe he's number two playing behind John Tavares, but uh, you know, that. I'm just having fun, but you know, <laughs> and he scores 28 goals and, and puts up points and plays. You know, he's not getting filled in defensively. Yep. I mean, that's that's still really valuable. It's just it's hard to put a price on exactly what that is. You know, probably the solution is a bit what they did with Marcio, So, where you know, obviously, we had the great platform here last year in Florida. I uh, was on the way clearly to doing that again this year, and they signed him to probably below market, but they gave him more, you know, a bit like the Arvidsson example. Yep. They gave him more term than someone like that ever could have imagined when he was, like, toiling in the AHL yep. and just never getting any respect. So, you know, that that might be the way to go with Carlson. I don't know how strong he and his agent are if they want to really push it, but, you know, if he believes in himself, sign a
1: one-year deal or go to ARB and then do anything like that again, and he's, he's getting big money next year. It's an amazing. It really is an amazing story because I remember he was a Ducks prospect at the time. And I believe he was like a second round pick, and you he know,
0: got taken in the same draft. They got Raquel Gibson mm-hmm. and Josh Manson, and their earliest pick in that draft was thirtieth. I just recently
1: was looking this and up. The, the Ducks are at the point where I'd give them the benefit of the doubt. Now I'm not a huge prospect guy by any means, but if they're taking a guy, especially in that like second to third round range, it seems like they've have that locked down to a science at this point. Like I'm like this guy's probably going to be pretty good, right? And um, and then now, I, remember- I heard a
0: story the ducks felt like they were close to getting carlson back before this season mm. i think that that you know when they started running into that injury trouble uh through training camp and after through the summer i believe there were some discussions there on carlson and, and from the ducks end of things anyway they they thought that they had a shot to get him back i mean obviously they didn't see this season coming either yep. but but they did still like the player and you know, obviously,
1: the minute he started playing as a Golden Knight, now he's not getting traded. What's well, it's, it's curious how those things work, because if, if I remember correctly, he was traded for, like, James Wisniewski as a rental or something one year. Exactly right. And it was just like, the Ducks had such a deep prospect pipeline that it was easy to pass that off, and especially as a contender, it's like, okay, this is the type of move you have to make. But, yeah, then he goes to Columbus, and I don't think anyone really batted an eye when... Vegas took him, especially when Columbus was protecting guys like Eunice Corpusalo and I guess Josh Anderson has had a good year himself, but he hadn't really shown anything to suggest that even like I think if he had twenty goals a season it would be a that would have been a story a massive success for Vegas that's why this is like an, an atom bomb going yeah. off but so I, I do wonder like w- what is a reasonable uh expectation for him moving forward because you watch some of these plays and I feel like You know, you can get into trouble trying to justify high shooting percentages and say this guy gets great chances all the time. And we know that eventually it's going to come back to bite you. But
0: usually only the best of the best sustain them. But you watch, you
1: watch watch some of these chances he's getting. And I guess that's the more interesting question here. It's like, what's driving the shooting, shooting percentage? And can you maintain getting those chances time and time again? But. It feels like every time I'm tuning over to a Vegas game, he's like got a shorthanded breakaway and I mean that goal he scored on Martin Jones was oh, beauty. one of the few times where that move has been actually justified as like a practical measure because right. Martin Jones was gonna check it if he didn't pull it off at the right time and it wasn't just style. Oh man, that yeah, I was watching, I was like sitting at home and I'm still adjusted at being on the East Coast time because I'm watching that late game and it's like one AM Saturday night, and I'm just sitting at home and I'm just like oh my god, I, I have goosebumps. This is yeah. this is incredible. Um, And so, yeah, I mean... What it, happens if he shoots 6% next year or something?
0: Which isn't, you know, we've seen some guys do that.
1: Well, that's the thing. I mean, he's gotten decent volume this year. So, you know, even if he came back to like league average, I think he'd still be on pace for like low 20s and goals, right. which is still perfectly fine. And I think that's probably where we're going to wind up with him in terms of where he's going to be moving forward and what he's going to get paid. Like, I, I can't imagine that... Vegas, even though they have so much money to operate with and are, they're seeing them up close to season, like you can't pay them as a 40 goal scorer. I mean, that's, there's like five guys in the league who, who aren't right. that kind of money.
0: Right. And, and in fact, you know, they might look at it and say, here's a one-year deal at good money, but prove right. it again. And if you do it again, then we'll pay you like not necessarily 40, but if you score 30, yeah. then, then we'll, you know, give you more benefit of the doubt. I mean, that, that's a reasonable tack to take. I mean, first of all, you keep your player motivated Yep. And you don't necessarily make a decision you're going to regret. Yeah, you know, I wonder how much players are going to wisen up to this. I, I think back to the Nazem Kadri contract, where he had a season where he actually generated. I still believe it's his most amount of shots. Right. He shot something like five percent or six percent. Yep. Signs a six year extension and a little more than four, four and a half, whatever. And he scored thirty years, thirty goals in back to back years since. So, I mean, players players got to watch this stuff too because I think a lot of players know it intuitively, but. You know, I'm sure the big agents are on this, but you know maybe some of the smaller mm-hmm. agents got to be aware of it too when they go into those negotiations.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. Um, okay, let's wrap up this podcast by kind of taking a step back and looking at the league from a bigger picture. Are you are you going to be doing like a March Madness style bracket? I know that like my editor, for example, wants me to fill out the uh, the bracket on NHL.com or whatever. And I haven't been asked to, and, but I'm I'm game for it. Yeah, it's kind of fun. I mean, obviously, like. You get this stuff horribly wrong. I mean, last year I had Boston breezing by Ottawa, and that clearly did not work out, Um, which is is what makes the playoffs fun. Did you have Pittsburgh in double overtime of Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Final versus the Sens? I'm glad you asked. I did, yeah. I'm not against the Senators, but against someone else. Um, Yeah, I think this year's going to be a really tough um, exercise in terms of picking teams, because as rational as I try to be about this stuff and calculated there's like balancing your head versus your heart sort of thing. And it's like, how do you deal with some of some of these teams that haven't been able to get over these hurdles in past years and sort of erasing that failure from your memory? Like, I'm sure for them themselves, it must be a challenge. But for us as analysts, whether it's a team like Minnesota or Washington or Columbus, if they have to face, face Pittsburgh in round one, like there's a rational society that says, this team's playing better right now. And I really think they could make it to the second, third round, whatever. And then it's like, uh, do I really want to go through the same mistake over and over again?
0: Well, and there's an element of playoffs of of something like momentum or getting hot. I think if a team like to me, Vegas, even like that first game, I actually think is important for them because if if they you know, get out, obviously the crowd's going to be amazing. It's been part of their story all year, and they play well in that first game, and they get a win, and the excitement continues, but but the minute, it's amazing how quickly a bit of doubt can get introduced, and if they lose 4-1 in the first game on home ice, you just start to feel it a bit, and I do think that that, that plays into a series because it's just such a short amount of time, and... and um, you know, those teams that have a psychological advantage. I mean, Pittsburgh, Washington is a classic example. I mean, right. it just feels like Pittsburgh is preordained to win those series. I mean, even you look back at last year's series, I mean, Pittsburgh should probably not have won that series against no. Washington. And I think that's why it left such a big hole in the heart of the Capitals. Like I, you know, there's guys there two months into the season saying they're still getting over that loss just because you start to wonder if it's you, like if there's something beyond just playing hockey, you're not doing right. Um, The emotions of the playoffs, you know factor in you know in addition to just which team can keep the the puck away from the other team more. Yep. Um I think we're going to get a new a sort of a new rise of new teams this year. I mean I guess Nashville would would count as one that was there in the last year and obviously they got great chances to get back to the Stanley Cup again and you know maybe even win it this time. Uh but you could also have like I wouldn't be surprised of Winnipeg when on like this run it's not out of nowhere. Obviously, we see the talent they've been amassing, but no previous playoff success. And then right out of the gate, I mean, it's a bit like Chicago—the first year they made the playoffs with Kane and Taves, they went to the conference final. I mean, yep. that that would not surprise me in the least. And you know, it'd be an interesting dynamic to, you know, have one of these teams that's an up-and-comer really
1: exert themselves and announce that they're on the stage now. And you're one of the few people in the world that you were talking about on Puck Talks that would rather go to Winnipeg than Nashville.
0: I don't know if I said it exactly <laughs> like that. I, did, I definitely said I love going to Winnipeg to cover right. hockey, though. And, uh, you know, it's such... It, to me, it's like, you know, growing up in Ontario, not in Toronto, but I grew up in a small town here, it's it's like, it's, it's sort of all the stereotypes about what Canada is is actually what Winnipeg is. Like, it's actually really cold there when you go there. Mm-hmm. A huge percentage of the time in the winter and actually it feels like everybody in the town is watching the Jets and paying attention to hockey. I'm sure there's a small minority that aren't, but you know, you tune into the local sports radio stations and that they're talking hockey like 98% of the time. It just, and obviously being someone who likes Canada and likes hockey I just I like the vibe there and the building's always great I've been there I actually once once there for a Panthers Jets game and like a lost season for both teams in February and it was like still buzzing in its own way so I just think it's a place where people really love the sport people want to talk about it there's an energy around it and now they have one of the most exciting teams in the league I mean that I think that the, the playoffs there could be electric I mean everyone went crazy for how the city of Nashville embraced the Predators I have no doubt if the Jets get to the Stanley Cup I mean it'll be everybody will be on the streets. It's going to be awesome. Uh, and, you know, it's not to say they're going to the cup. We'll see because that second round, that's going to be Titanic. If Nashville, Winnipeg meet the way it looks like they're going to,
1: I mean, they could be, you know, there's going to be upsets and it might not necessarily work out like this. Like it looks like it could be on paper, but just in terms of uh, home crowds in winnipeg series moving forward like they could potentially have that first round matchup against minnesota and there's going to be an awesome sort of geographical rivalry there then second round against nashville we obviously saw how nashville's home crowd is last year and then the third round if they potentially face vegas or something like that like it's like all every, every winnipeg game is going to be just must watch in terms of just Crazy home atmospheres wherever they're playing, and that's going to be fascinating to watch.
0: the The attendance record at work in Winnipeg is going to be really bad, yes, if, if,
1: if that all manifests itself. And it seems really good. Like I don't, they could get tripped up easily. We've seen how the playoffs work, but it's hard to find, especially if they're going to be healthy. And it looks like Truba's going to be back and good, good to go now. Like if and Mark Shafley, knock on wood, if he can stay healthy, he's had a bit of a rough year in terms of leaving games with right. with with, with uh, nicks and bruises, but up and down. I mean, very few flaws. I'm, I'm fascinated for a, a sort of moving forward. You know, we constantly hear how Winnipeg is one of those places where I think most players don't agree with your take that they love going to Winnipeg to, to watch hockey or play hockey. Um, well, I you know the Sharks got in some trouble. Maybe they'll face the Sharks in the Western Conference. Oh, there on we on go. There that's a go. good story. Um, but you know, we saw this year with Paul Stasny, for example, he waves his no trade yeah. to go play there. And I think if this team keeps going down this path, I mean, there's just so much young, exciting talent there. Like, why why wouldn't you want to go play with Nick Ehlers and Patrick Line? Like, that seems like a pretty fun gig. Uh, I understand that certain players have different priorities, but if they, sh- this is a big year for them because moving forward, if they can prove that you know they're here to stay and they're actually going to be this team moving forward, like that's going to open up whole new possibilities for them as well.
0: Well, especially because so many of their key players they've drafted. I mean, so guys that have grown up in the organization and. You know, I would assume most of them are endeared to it and yep. like it, and and have come to see maybe it's not as bad as what the the reputation might suggest in some places, and and I don't see any reason why not. I mean, the only issue they're going to run into, I think, is cap space. I yep. mean, uh, depending on what they do. I mean, the the Brian Little contract extension to me, it's not that it's a mistake. I think Brian Little is a pretty useful player, but you know, it's going to create there'll be a ripple effect there, and you know, I think that Blake Wheeler will be tough i mean there's there's always ways around these things but it probably means trading someone away i mean they're not that far off from what the blackhawks had to do whether right. they win the cup or not in terms of maybe getting rid of players they like uh just to to make it all fit so you know that might you know just the cap issues might keep them out of the free agent market but you know paul Sasney going there wearing thomas dean's number mm-hmm. in, in honor of his buddy alex dean one of his best buddies like i I think that they're shedding some of that now, and and certainly, if it is a bit of a coming out party in terms of the way the fans are perceived, even more. You know, if the playoff, the playoff run can help, right? Yeah. Like Nashville was, I remember Nashville wasn't always viewed as like this sexy location.
1: Now, it's amazing what winning and doing so in an exciting manner can do.
0: I mean, what is that a top five NHL city now? I think in people's minds, you know, I, I was at a game there about two weeks ago. The Leafs played there. Like it felt like the whole it, everyone who is who goes on one road trip a year went on that road trip because, yep. you know, Nashville is such a fun place off you know away from the arena too, but you know you can change those persp- you know those, those perspectives by winning. I mean, winning I think changes everything, and and the Jets are a team that's built to win now and going forward if they're managed properly.
1: Now here's a question, and this has nothing to do with uh, on ice performance, but just in terms of like as a media member. I think something Nashville has done so well and they kind of get the luxury of doing so, I guess, because it is technically a non-traditional hockey market. So maybe they just want people to be talking about them and writing about them and doing podcasts about them. So they like actually give some pretty amazing access and have fun with it and don't take this stuff too seriously. Whereas in some Canadian markets, you see that, you know, there's just so much attention and so many cameras on all the time that they really restrict the access to players or what they allow them to do or say. And I don't know. Do 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 you see that changing at all anytime soon, or do you think like just the the power dynamic there is just so crazy here in Canada that it's just never like a team's never going to be able to really get away with what Nashville gets away with, unfortunately, just because of the logistics of it.
0: I honestly see it changing in Nashville before I see it changing in Canada. Yeah. Like I see if the Predators win, it'll probably get more buttoned up. You know, yeah. that's that's what happened in Chicago, frankly, is the Blackhawks. You know, because prior to Kane and Taves arriving on the scene like they were not shown on local TV and all those stories and no one went to games and so when that team first started to get good and they were young they let every player do everything they were, everything was behind the scenes and the minute they got good and you know they got a lot more serious yep. and i think that that's probably what'll happen in nashville and i don't see it changing i mean yeah. i'd like to tell you it's going to but it, these guys there's just too much at stake and and i think that I mean we take the game so seriously here. I mean it's one of the it's one of the good things, but it's also a, it's a little much.
1: Sometimes right? you take a step back and you like, oh, right, we're but probably being I a I mean bit it's too serious literally serious
0: given lines. my me my career. So I yeah. you know I I want to be careful about you know <laughs> being too negative about yes, it because of course. the fact that people care as much as they do allows us to to make a living. Um and I and I don't take that for granted, but you know I think at some t- points we do some of like just watch the way the stories are presented, like with a clear mind sometimes. And that includes ones I do. I'm not saying I'm immune from this, but, yep. but sometimes you get in the moment and, and you get caught up in certain things going on and we act like it's it's a matter of life or death. And I think that's one thing in places where it is more non traditional, you know, where the sport is just viewed more as a fun thing. Mm. You know, I think that like that's my takeaway from Nashville. Like it's just a fun place to go to the arena and watch a game. Yep. Like I would recommend it literally to anybody, even if you're not that big a fan. Like I don't see I you're in that arena you just smile. Like the music that like they, they really have a the right attitude about how they, they present their game ops. I've heard that about Vegas too. I haven't actually been to a game yet, but like everyone's just said the game ops
1: there are just yeah. amazing. Well like, I mean you're paying for three hour three hours to just sort of whatever's going on in your life, you kind of put that to the side and you just go and you're entertained. And right. that's what this is all about at the end of the day. It's not
0: so if the rubber bounces the wrong way on ice yeah. and the local team loses, it might not be a matter of life and death.
1: Yeah, which is I think, it's, I guess it's easier, <laughs> easier said than done for for people like. They you had a and car
0: out front of the building in the Cup final that you could pay to smash it, <laughs> like which it's like absurd, but it was hilarious, right? And then yep. you get like Ilya you know, Gallop jumping on the roof and smashing but it. It was just it's, I don't know, it's just fun.
1: I will say even before, um, you know, obviously having a long playoff run and making it to the cup finals definitely provides more national attention and gets people to wise up to what's going on. But I remember I went to a game, I believe it was in like December last season. Right. And it was like a random Tuesday night game against Colorado who was in the midst of historically bad seasons. There was no real reason to care that much. I think McKinnon was even out of the lineup and I just had so much, like I just went as a fan and I had a couple beers and I was just sitting in the stands and it was just, it's fun. It's just so fun, And you know. The other team gives up a goal, and everyone is just letting the other goalie hear it. And it's one of the few times where I believe, like, if I was that goalie, I would actually be mentally affected by that, as opposed to a lot. A lot of stadiums, they just chant the goalie's name, and it's like, I, I, that, if anything, that would pump me up. Yeah, yeah. that doesn't really work that well. Yeah, no, that wouldn't scare me at all. But like, they're like saying, like, it's all your fault. It's all your. And it's like, oh man, that would that would get to me. I'd be like. Damn, I really did mess up. How about the "Let
0: It Be" thing too? When they're yep. doing the goalie interference challenges yep. and stuff. I mean, it's it's great. And you know, what, I think the real coming out party nationally was the All Star Game. Mm, yep. Uh, you know, it just happens. Maybe the John Scott story actually made the All Star Game even more relevant when when it was in Nashville uh, than it is in a lot of places. But I mean, th- I, anyway, it's it's without question a top five NHL city. I don't know if Winnipeg will get there, but who knows? Let's see what the spring brings. Yeah. So
1: I was gonna say, do you think Winnipeg? I guess Winnipeg and. Vegas are the two sort of uh, examples of like markets or stories that could develop like that if they go on a long playoff or make it to the Western Conference final or the final where everyone's like, oh, this is such an... I mean, I guess I think people know that uh, Winnipeg is an awesome place to play hockey, right? Like, even in that series where they got swept by the Ducks, like just before the game, everyone's standing, chanting the entire time. Like, it's awesome.
0: But it is sort of like... I. From what I've heard, like, Patrick Laine can't really go out in Winnipeg. Yeah. Like, he can't just go get a coffee at the local shop and not expect to make a scene. Whereas, like, if you play in 27 cities in this league, including Mm. Toronto, I should add. I mean, maybe different for Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, but if you're the third pairing D, I think you can walk around a city pretty unobstructed in in even a lot of Canadian cities. But Winnipeg strikes me as one of the places where, you know, and you just have to get comfortable with that. right? And that's not for everybody. I'm not sure that would be for me. It's true. I mean, it's just because it's weird. It's I'm sure. I'm go. sure.
1: I'm sure the start will be kind of cool. You're like, oh, I'm super popular fan. And then I mentioned, right. like, I just want to be left alone for a couple. Maybe of you want to go get your latte and just yes. like get in, and get out. Yeah. Um, okay. Is is there anything else that we need to hit while we're here? I mean, no. I'm pumped for the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, it's been a
0: weird. What's we got to change the playoff format. Topic for another PDO cast. Yeah. But like, we have to change this because this season I felt. Like the end has been anticlimactic Mm. across the board. So few games that matter. I mean, there's a handful every night or every couple nights, but I mean, we haven't had races. I think that they got to go back to one to eight at minimum, and I think they will.
1: Someone did posit the idea to me, and I'm not necessarily saying it's right or wrong, but like I think everyone would agree that the first round is the best part of the playoffs, just in terms of like the volume of games, and every night there's three or four on and. It's just something's happening all the time. And it's
0: like they get shot out of a rocket after watching
1: what we're watching right now these last few days of the season. So I guess there is the argument to be said that like you want, especially guys are presumably healthier now that they're going to be in the conference final after they've been playing an extra couple weeks of even more intense hockey and getting banged up. So like there is the argument that it's actually good to have the top teams playing each other early on because this is when the most eyeballs are on the product and it's going to be played at the highest level. I see what you're doing here. I don't know. I I I I see that argument. I also see the argument of you probably you want the two best too. you want the two best teams playing when it matters most. And also, if we're gonna have an eighty-two game regular season, it feels like you should be rewarded for being very good for eighty-two games and getting an easier draw than what some of these teams are gonna have. Like like a Toronto's gonna have to go through or Winnipeg and Nashville playing in round two. Whereas or Columbus against Pittsburgh might.
0: last year after fourth overall season. Yes.
1: Yeah. And we were talking about this. To our credit, we were talking about this last year. It's not just because Toronto is the one getting shafted this year. We were like, people were talking about this last year and the year before. And
0: Well, didn't you have one, two, and four overall, I think, in the Metro last year? Yep. With Toronto, Tampa, Boston, it's going to be somewhere like one, three, and six ish. Mm. Could be even seven. I mean, you know, it's not quite as egregious, but I don't, I don't, I don't like the way it feels.
1: Is there a, a, a first round series um, that you're going to have other than the Leafs because you're going to be covering that? Is there a one there you're going to Winnipeg, Minnesota? Winnipeg, Minnesota. That's probably going to be a really good
0: one, just because the regional rivalry and the yeah. Jets having basically never won a playoff game, and since since we didn't exist or since we were kids, and you know the whiteout phenomenon, and the, you know I, I think that that and even the wild side of yeah. things. I mean, they've played pretty well. I mean, the Suter injury is going to hurt, and yeah. we'll see if Spurgeon's truly back. Um, but I, I think that I think that series holds some appeal. Also, anything can happen. I mean, there's going to be one series where we expect it to decidedly go one way and, and it could go the other way. And yep. that that usually gets fun, the sort of Cinderella element.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, we, we're we not talking about Minnesota enough. And I've gotten some criticism for that online where people are like, oh, you're not talking about them enough. And here we are talking about how we're excited for a Minnesota-Winnipeg series and we're completely ignoring the other side of the equation. But you're right, the Suter injury kind of throws a monkey wrench in Otherwise, I would have, I would have said that...
0: Reborn Eric Stahl, man.
1: Yeah, and, and to Minnesota's credit, they haven't gotten enough attention for it, but they're, they're kind of sputtering out of the gates there early on, and they really righted the ship this season. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's another story in and of itself. Like, can they finally um, get over the hump? Can a Bruce Boudreaux team advance in the playoffs? Like, it's... There's and what of... does it
0: take for Chuck Fletcher to get a contract extension? Hmm. It's, yeah,
1: it's, uh, I'm there, sure... There we're could be big changes
0: coming, basically, if, if something doesn't change this spring.
1: Yeah. You know what? I, I'm going to say the... Uh, my answer is whoever Vegas winds up playing, especially if it's a team like Anaheim, for example. I'm really curious. No see. one wants Anaheim, I don't think. You mean to play them? Yeah, I think that's a really tough first-round matchup. Oh, brutal, especially if they're going to be healthy like this. I mean, yeah, going up against playoff, Aaron Getzlaf, and we'll see with John Gibson's health, but the way he's playing, like they're a scary out, and I think from an X's and O's perspective, that is such a fascinating matchup because... like, You're leaving with bruises even if you win that yeah, series. Yeah, of course and Vegas wants to play such a different way. Um, right. so I'm very curious to see if, you know, we hear how playoff hockey, it slows down and gets more physical and you have to play a certain brand of hockey to win. And that's going to be a very good test of that theory because, uh, they play such different opposing styles. So yeah, I think you can't go wrong in the first round. I'm really excited and I'm glad we, uh, we made it here. We talked for like 75 minutes, which is pretty good considering we, we, we sat down and we're like, so we didn't have any, any topics to discuss, but, uh, we pulled through, we made it work. We're we're consummate professionals. You get talking about hockey, I could go all day. Alright, CJ, um thanks for coming on the podcast, and we'll uh, we'll definitely have you back on. Thank you. <laughs> the Hockey PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Philipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey pdo cast.